Alrighty, thank you, Bonnie and Linda. Spectacular as always. I need to use a different word other than spectacular. I use that word a lot. Magnificent as always. There we go. Thank you. Um, if you have your Bibles, please open them up to Isaiah. And we are currently starting chapter 3. Um, so I want to real quick, before we get into chapter 3, I want to read verse 22 from chapter 2, the very last verse that we read last week. Um, it says, Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? Um, that is an important verse because it kind of segues into chapter 3. We kind of dealt with why Isaiah would leave that at the end of this last chapter. I mean, I guess that's where we put it, I guess. I don't know if he would have. Um, but we saw how they were believing these wrong things. They had these human ideas and these ideals, and ultimately it just leads to destruction. <clears throat> and so now we're going to talk about the actual humans themselves rather than just the ideas and the beliefs. Um, so what we're going to do is start with verse 1. And go from 1 through 7. For behold, the Lord God of hosts is taking away from Jerusalem and from Judah support and supply, all support of bread and all support of water. The mighty man and the soldier, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50 and the man of rank, the counselor and the skilled magician, and the expert in charms. And I will make boys with princes, and infants shall rule over them. And the people will oppress one another, every one his fellow, and every one his neighbor. The youth will be insolent to the elder, and the despised to the honorable. For a man will take hold of his brother in the house of his father, saying, You have a cloak, you shall be our leader, and this heap of ruins shall be, your, shall be under your rule. In that day he will speak out, saying, I will not be a healer. In my house there is neither bread nor cloak. You shall not make me a leader of the people. All right, so we notice how chapter 3 begins with the word for. Scholars note that this connects it with either verses 6 through 22 of the previous chapter, or at least with verse 22, as we've kind of just mentioned. In either case, we see that the Lord God is passing judgment on the people. He is going to take away support and supply. Specifically, it's mentioned bread and water. Scholars note that in context, it is likely bread and water here represent the leaders of the people. Those whom the people rely on will be taken away by God for their own lack of righteousness. This concept is further elaborated on with verses 2 and 3. We see how the prophet describes the many different kinds of leadership found within society, whether it be the military branch with the mighty man, the soldier, the captain of 50, the political branch with the judge, the elder, the man of rank, and the counselor, or even the religious with the prophet, the skilled magician, and the expert in charms. All in all, those who are leaders will be displaced when the judgment comes. And as such, when the nation is attacked from outside sources, there will be none who are able to lead the people and keep them safe. Um, and actually, we saw this very thing happen in 586 uh, with when the Babylonians came. They came and took all of those people away. So this actually did end up happening almost verbatim. Still, at the time of Isaiah, it wasn't quite happening yet. So instead of having those who are able in leadership, there will be weak individuals. Um, the prophet describes the new leadership as boys and infants. While they had true leadership with those previously, these new leaders are incompetent to lead. 
What happens when a nation has incompetent leadership? The answer is governmental and societal collapse. Instead of justice being seen in the land, there is oppression. Instead of respect for the older generation, there will be insolence and disrespect. Those who should be held in honor will be despised. Because of the societal breakdown, it will lead to, as one scholar puts it, nobodies will be leaders. We see this as the one who they believe will be able to lead is the one who has a cloak. We can see the failure of society here as they attempt to lift up an individual who has literally nothing to offer. They are destitute, and it shows in their choice of leadership. Despite being called to lead, this individual recognizes his own state. He will not heal because he cannot heal. The brokenness of society is too deep. As such, when offered the position, why lead a heap of ruins? He is unable to give bread nor give a cloak for shelter. As such, he will reject the call to leadership. Now we come to verses 8 through 11. For Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. For the look on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Woe to the wicked. It shall be ill with them. For what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. Why is all of this going to happen? Why is the judgment coming upon them? Because Jerusalem, the city which was meant to be the light for the rest of the world, and Judah, the people who have, uh, were supposed to be the light of the world through their deeds, have fallen into an immoral and spiritual collapse. Their speech and deeds stand in direct contrast to God, whom they are supposed to respect and adore. They reject him and his glory, rejecting his ways, and instead of embracing his glory, they reject him. Whereas the presence of God resembles that of glory, their presence shows not glory, but sin and rebellion. Indeed, they willingly sin and proclaim it like the people of Sodom of old reflecting their lack of repentance and their willingness to flaunt their sin against God. As such, they bring the judgment on themselves for their own actions. In a classic Proverbs-type statement, the righteous are encouraged. Though the days seem dark, in the end their deeds will be rewarded. The wicked, however, it will not be well with them. Indeed, it will be ill, which is to contrast the fruit of the deeds of the righteous. The retributive justice of God will be brought down against the sinner for their deeds, against God and their fellow humans. We now come to verses 12 through 15. My people, infants are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, your guides mislead you, and they have swallowed up the course of your paths. The Lord has taken his place to contend. He stands to judge peoples. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders and the princes of his people. It is you who have devoured the vineyard. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people? By grinding the face of the poor, declares the Lord God of hosts. As a final statement to the people, we see what he says. 
Whereas previously it was stated that infants would become their leaders, we find in an ironic twist that infants already suppress them. The fact that women rule over them may be a reflection of the many times the kings would wed foreign women, which would lead the king and the people to practice then their beliefs. It may also reflect the kind of relationship Jezebel had with her husband Ahab. Instead of the leaders leading the people in the ways of God, they are misleading the people to paths of darkness. Indeed, the course which they are on will only lead to destruction rather than salvation. They cannot find hope in them because they are against God. These same people who they think are good, the leaders, the prophets, all these individuals, are actually just leading them further and further astray. As such, the Lord will contend against the peoples. Specifically, his judgment is against the leaders who are doing the misleading. While they should be heralds of truth and justice, they instead trample on the less fortunate. That they have devoured the vineyard represents the land itself as under the yoke of the oppressor. Likewise, the spoils they have, which normally would come from spoils of war against another nation, a pagan nation, is really from their own people, their own poor. So God lays the charge against them. How dare they do this? They are crushing their own people. Indeed, not only their people, but God's people. They crush the face of the poor, emphasizing the complete disregard for their fellow humans and their disregard for true justice in their society. As such, the conclusion is burning against the leadership and ultimately the people themselves. What right do they have to do these things? In the end, there is no reason other than their rebellious natures against a holy and righteous God. Alright, so the main point of these verses are to further describe the situation with the people. They are essentially being led on a road which leads to destruction. Their leaders, whom they hold in high esteem, are actually little more than infants at this point willingly encouraging rebellion by being rebellious themselves. Such a society is sure to crumble under its own sinful state, which is what happens as the poor are oppressed rather than lifted up as they should be. Thus God comes in his judgment against the people for their negligence in trusting such leadership as well. All right, application points. Okay, so here's my problem, right? I'm going to be honest with you. Isaiah talks about politics. (laughs) A lot of this is politics. A lot of this is kings and rulers. And I don't like to preach sermons on politics. I don't like doing it. I don't like doing it because, let's be real, um, we live in America where it's very different politically than back then. But the question is then, can we still learn something in regards to our own politics, even from this? Personally, I say yes. So here we go. Let's have fun. I'm calling it fun, because why not? All right, so judgment and responsibility. I would say that these verses are quite prevalent to us today in two ways. The first is from a religious perspective, and the second is from a national political perspective. In both cases, one can see how these verses could be speaking to our own situation here in good old America. But before we discuss this, let's consider again what we find in the text itself. What we find is God judging the people via their leadership. 
Um, he takes away anyone who would lead and replaces them with mere infants, or better said, those who are truly not qualified to be leading anyone or really um, anything. Because of this, there is a breakdown in the society as a society without leadership leads to corruption and depravity. So what do we see? We see that God is judging the people with bad leadership. Oftentimes, we can think of judgment as fire and brimstone. While this is entirely possible, just as Sodom and Gomorrah, um, just as often, God will judge a people by giving them actually exactly what they want. Consider what we read in Romans 1, for example, where we read, Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to a dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see it fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to have been done or not to be done. Now notice what we find. God gave them up in the lusts of their heart. He gave them up to dishonorable passions. And he gave them up to a debased mind. What we find is God giving the people exactly what they want in their sin. So it is with the leadership of the day in Isaiah. The people are experiencing the leadership they have because it is the leadership that they want. And God, in his judgment on them for desiring such individuals to lead, ultimately, not to God and his glory, but a broken and collapsing society. Because while we, we may think leaders are those who give us what we want and need, in the end, the true leaders, the good ones, are those who lead us to God and his glory. They are the ones who speak to us of God's ways and how to walk in God's ways. They point not to themselves, not to their own might, their own strength, but to Christ. Though the people believe they know what good leadership is, in the end it is only a reflection of themselves. They are corrupt, therefore their leadership is corrupt. Instead of giving them a better leadership... God gives them what their heart wants, and it is a sorrowful thing to consider. Those who are most low suffer as they are looted by their own leadership. Again, how sad a thing to behold. But that leads us to an interesting and important question. In fact, it is one with uh, one of the more interesting questions which we have heard before, I think. That is, if God's judgment is coming on the people through this poor leadership, then what should the people do? Do they do nothing and go again? And because if they do, they go against God. Do they accept the punishment and acquiesce to the poor leadership and just follow the poor leadership? The response to this is important because we can recognize God's judgment over all the world as a result of sin. And so much sin leads to so much death. What should our response be to those whom God is judging? Do we sit back and watch? I think that the answer is in today's text. Notice how at the end, the prophet declares, well, middle, 
Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Our call, above all, is to follow God in his righteousness no matter the situation. Even if all the earth should be in a state of judgment, even if we should experience some of the pangs of that judgment, we are called to righteousness. In other words, we are always responsible despite the situation we find ourselves in. If God should give us poor leaders, we are to be responsible in our response to their leadership. This is true from a social or religious perspective. We need to be keeping ourselves in check, in doing so keeping our leaders in check as well. It will not do for us to sit idly back while the world burns. No, we need to be on guard for the sake of the world and for our own sake. In America, it is hard uh, to hear a lot of this. Many of us base our decisions fully on, let's say, policy. But the question is, is that enough? Is that what we are called to do as Christians? I would argue, yes and no, right? (laughs) While it is certainly acceptable for us to vote for an individual based upon their policies, we cannot allow good policies to keep us from our prophetic voice, which is to call out their infantile behavior. Um, I'm going to pause there. (laughs) That works both ways, don't worry. (laughs) Um, And I I had written a paragraph in here about the right and the left, (laughs) and I deleted it. But this is the point, right? You look at our our leadership today in America. On the right, I don't know what you really have anymore. It's interesting leadership. On the left, you have very, very inexperienced individuals leading (laughs) And it's exactly what the prophet here is saying. These infantile people who just keep on clashing. Um, And it's, what do we do? (laughs) You know? And this is what we're talking about. Um, So it is, it is. Indeed, that is our responsibility in a world where we will be under poor leadership. To seek righteousness, to seek justice, truth, and love, regardless regardless of the leadership we are under. This doesn't mean becoming complacent of accepting that poor leadership, But we are called to seek to hold such leadership in high standards. It also means encouraging the future leaders as moral and ethical standard bearers. Lincoln one time said, actually it was in his his first address when he first became president, he was in D.C. At the very end of his speech, he says this, We are to seek the better angels of our nation. Now, obviously, a lot of this has been focused on us living uh, as Christians in America and leadership in that context, because as it is, there is a warning for us to cease our prophetic voice and our call to faithfulness even here. The result will be just as it is with ancient Israel. If we cease doing this stuff, a society will break down, and our society has broken down where immorality is seen as moral, and where regardless of the policy, there is no real truth anymore. Because it all comes back to the truth of this. Without Christ, there is no hope of redemption. Without Christ, there is no hope for a society to have its ills fixed. Without Christ, there is simply no hope. To believe any politician or any leader can truly save us, and to rely on a leader who is not Christ is to rely on one who is nothing more than a breath of air. Christ, though, he is eternal, and his covenant is forever. In other words, we must not rely on ourselves. We must not rely on our own abilities in order to lift us out of the mire. 
No, we are in desperate need of God. We learned previously from Isaiah that the faithful one would bring about the reality of God's salvation to us. Where we could know God and walk in with him in peace. Such peace is only possible by God's hand and by no other means. Thus to rely on any person or any idea from a person rather than the concepts and the precepts of God that he has provided for us in his gospel would be folly for us. Instead, by turning toward Christ, we find not folly, but the truth. And in that truth, we find the meaning and the purpose of all reality, because it all comes under his lordship. It is not only the religious which he owns. No, he also owns everything in society, everything in nature, and everything spiritual. Nothing falls outside the purview of the great king and lord of all. Thus, when we read Isaiah... And we find Isaiah discussing how God has brought these leaders onto the people as a form of judgment from God. We are reminded that God is in control. We who are called to be righteous then will bear the fruit of righteousness regardless because God has promised it to us. He has also promised if we are in Christ we will find righteousness itself. And so it comes full circle. To the practical application to Isaiah is to learn from the mistakes and the failures of those who have walked before us. Let us not be content to rely on humans for our salvation. Instead, rely on God and his word, which is made flesh in his son, Jesus Christ. Let him lead us to greener pastures, to peace unending with each other and our God. In all of this, then, we find this last thing, which is hope. No matter the situation, we know God is in control. This shouldn't cause us to be apathetic. Instead, it should encourage within us a desire for holiness, a desire for righteousness, and a desire for justice. Because we know Christ is supreme. And he is worthy of all of us. He is worthy of us being responsible regardless of the situation we find ourselves in. And we have hope knowing that we are not alone but we are given the Holy Spirit who strengthens us in this obedience. So, let us cling to the hope even in times of trouble. And in this specific case, when our leadership is weak, for the one in whom we hope is ever faithful to his people, of that we have no doubts. God is in control, and it's to him that we ultimately own our greatest allegiance. And so, I said earlier, this is going to be a short sermon. (laughs) Wow. I'm going to have to start using the Amplified Bible and reading from that. You know, that's the one that has, like, all the extra words that you don't really need. Um, Anyway, all of this does lead to the gospel, right? I mean, it leads to the gospel in so many different ways. When it comes to our origins, that we are created in God's image. You know, why should they care about the poor? Why? Why is it important for them to seek justice in their society? Why is it important that the leadership doesn't just trample on everyone as they've been doing? Why is it important? Because it all goes back to our origins. We are all created in the image of God. 
All of us have this naturalness to us, this part of us that every human person has, that we are all created in his image, and we all have this purpose, and we all have these wonderful things about us. And we shouldn't trample on each other in that way. But then the question is, why do they end up doing it? Why does the leadership, which you would think are so mighty, these are the guys that on paper look good. These are the mighty men. These are the mighty men who, could, who would say, hey, look, look at this guy. He's done so much. We need him as a leader. Why are they the ones who are trampling on the poor? Why is it that the people that we would expect to not do it are the ones doing it? Why is Isaiah having to critique these people? And the answer is the fall. The answer is because people are broken. And even the best among us are very easily influenced by sin. Because sin, it permeates all things. Even the good that we see can so easily turn into darkness. And we weep at this because our leaders are supposed to lead us into good things. And yet, when even the good things that we're seeking turn out to be bad because of what it is that they're leading us by, it's terrible. It's because of the fall that this happens. It's because of the fall that the poor trampled. It's because of the fall that the sinful state and rebellious natures are coming full force to these people. And there's the problem. God is a just God. God cannot simply let these people get away with it. He cannot simply say, it's okay, be unjust. I love you anyway. He can't do that because he's God. He can't just simply say, it's all right, keep living in your sin. I will love you no matter what. He can't do that. And so they deserve the judgment. But then there's the problem. We deserve it as well. So how is it that we're able to find redemption? And the only way we can find redemption is by the one who takes away the sin of the world, which is Christ. Through his life, death, and resurrection, we are able to understand God and we're able to turn away from these injustices and we're able to seek justice finally. But it's only through Christ. No policy, no politician, no religious leader. Who am I? I'm but a breath of air too, guys. (laughs) Don't trust me, trust Christ. That's what we're in need of in society. Right now, it's really interesting how it correlates so well with Sunday school because we're talking about pragmatism, aren't we? (laughs) And the idea is that if we just seek pragmatism, if we seek what is the most simple form of common sense criteria, hey, the world will be a better place. That's not how it works. (laughs) And so we weep and we mourn as people who are redeemed because we see the darkness so clearly, don't we? We look at it and we say, what is going on? But we also know that there's hope. Because if God can save any one of us, he can save this whole world. And so what is it required of us to simply be faithful? That's all it takes is to be faithful. 
as individuals and as the church, when we are faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ, guess what? That's when the world changes. That's how things actually get done. And you know what? It leads to glory. In every case where you see the gospel being presented, where you see it in its fullest fruit being received by a society, by a people, guess what? It's a beautiful sight to see because you can see the glory on their faces. And it's not their glory, it's God. So, we live in a very hectic world world. And to be honest, we should be thankful, right? I mean, it's not like we should not be thankful for living in America. The truth is, we can be thankful because it's in America where we get to say, hey, guess what? Jesus reigns supreme, and if we follow him, all will be well. <laughs> we can say that. We, we should be thankful for that. Um, however, that means that we have a responsibility. And that responsibility is to proclaim that. That responsibility is to live it out. That responsibility is to not let the world simply go and burn. So, let's not, and let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for what you have accomplished through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for the prophet Isaiah, who reminds us what it means to live in a society where not everything is going right, where sin is abundant, and where people are seeking sin rather than you. And Lord, we thank you for Isaiah for this reason, because it reminds us what not to be. It reminds us that we can't follow their footsteps, but that we are to seek a better way. A way in which we can be vocal. Which we should use our voices and our minds and our bodies to proclaim the truth. And Lord, we thank you that we are able to do that. We thank you that we don't live in a world where You know, everything is just completely suppressed. No, we live in a world where we can use our voice. So, Lord, we ask that you would use our voices. Because we get to be part of it. Because you have redeemed us for that purpose, to glorify you. So, Lord, be glorified. Be glorified in us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Please rise as we sing our final hymn.